Wow, wonderful. That's great. Before I start, let's just bow our heads again. I want to just mull over those wonderful songs that were part of our worship set today. They speak so powerfully to the subject today, and I don't want to lose that um, in the midst of everything else. Heavenly Father, you truly are an awesome God, so selfless, so generous, so wonderful. You cause the sun to rise, you lay it to rest. And we, your body of Christ here at New Hope Church, we, Lord, are thankful, we're grateful to you. I pray, Father, you will take these words of mine and, Lord, use them. May they be spirit, may they be life to my brothers and sisters and to myself as I share them today. Amen. Well, good morning, New Hope Church, body of Christ, as you are, or this little bit of it here. We're going to be doing um, a continuation of the series that we started regarding the body of Christ. And so, to remind us a little bit of our topic today, let's revisit Pastor Matthew's working definition of church and the body of Christ, so that we can see which exact part of the definition we're focusing on today. Could you flash that up for me, Steve? There we go. Now, I hope you can pretty much see that, but we'll read it again, just to get it in our minds. The church is that fellowship of believers in the Lord Jesus. I can't hear you guys. Come on. I said we'd read it. Come on, guys. Don't leave me hanging here. Okay, let's start again. You know how to do this. The church is that fellowship of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, which, crafted and empowered by the Holy Spirit and guided by the Word of God, is called to wait upon and today worship God as it represents and promotes his redemptive plan among all peoples. That's it. So today, we're going to look at the calling to worship. We're going to look at what it means to live a life of worship. And our foundational verse today is Romans 12 and verse 1. I'm sure that will also come up on the screen because Steve's right on it. There he is. That's the man. Okay, let me read this to you then. I appeal to you, I beg of you, I urge you. Look at different translations, you'll see how strong that is. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, sometimes your appropriate, sometimes your reasonable worship. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So Romans 12 begins with an appeal for us to be living sacrifices on account of God's mercies to us. Paul calls this sacrifice our spiritual worship. As I said, there are other versions of this that will call it appropriate or reasonable. Uh, that's fine. They all carry that same sense of what we're looking for. Later on in the chapter, Paul is going to set some examples of what that actually looks like. What does it look like for us to worship God as individual believers who together form the church, which is the body of Christ? Notice that Paul encourages us to offer our bodies as one sacrifice. That's interesting how Paul mixes that plural 
and singular. He could have said sacrifices, but he didn't. You notice that? Also, I want you to remember, to bear this in mind when you're thinking about this, that this letter was written to a church, not to an individual. It wasn't written to pe person, it was written to people. As I like to say, this is the letter to the Romans, not the Roman. The individual hearing it is part of a body. And that's the body that is here to obey this as well as the individual within that body. The verse we read, however, starts with a therefore. Mm. And you all know very well, and I was always told to notice, any therefores in a passage and to ask the question, what exactly is the therefore therefore? You've heard that before, right? Okay. You, you've been around, okay. See, wherever we find that therefore, we know there's something preceding it that's kind of important that actually this verse hinges on. It's the balance point, if you like, for the what comes afterwards. And without that, it's that old context pretext thing as well. So let's have a quick go back one verse and read the back end of Romans 11, which is 11.36. And this will help us set the context to understanding Romans 12 a little better, I think, and what it means to be truly living as a worshipful sacrifice. Steve, there you go, mate. This is how it looks. For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. This is where we take our all glory to God title for this sermon today. For him, for, from him, excuse me, through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. That's pretty all-encompassing. Remember, from him, through him, for him. This verse is so helpful to help us really get a grasp of what Romans 12.1 is all around because it gives us the why out of gratitude. It gives us the how, both personally and as Christ's body. And it gives us the who, who the living sacrifice is for. This helps us set some of our understanding when we start to think about working out and walking out what it means to be a living sacrifice. Now, everybody likes abbreviations, lol, ruffle, etc. And I thought about this, but I thought, you know, hmm, well, is a little difficult for people, for why, how, and who. So I thought of a more user-friendly one, FTF. From, through, for. Or perhaps you might even prefer, and it might be easier, for the Father. Our living sacrifice, our acceptable worship, our reasonable sacrifice of our lives is always for the Father. Anyway, back to our main verse today. You might be asking yourself, or not, what are the mercies of God then? that Paul's talking about, the things that are to motivate us, that are to drive us forward as living sacrifices. See, the letter of Romans was written primarily to a Gentile church who were discovering really what their new life in Christ was all about. What does it really mean? What's it for? And specifically, how they were justified. Justified. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of this stuff, but this word is a very complex one. But what you need to get a hold of is that it implies much more than forgiveness. We are declared a just person by God through our death with Christ and our rising with him. 
every debt against us, satisfied because Jesus took the punishment that was ours and that we deserved. He asks us to die with him so we can also be raised with him. I used to go to an old Anglican church when I was at university in England, and my old vicar, when he would uh, come up with cute little phrases and things like that, and you may have heard this one already, but I'll give it to you again because it's very helpful. He said, you know, he said, justified means it's just as if I'd never done it. Do you get it? Justified means it's just as if I'd never done it. You see, I can forgive you for something, but I know you did it. I'm just forgiving you. But if I justify you, I'm taking you beyond that to making you righteous. It's a kind of a forgiveness upgrade, if you like, because we're always into upgrading and hacking and supersizing, aren't we, around here? So I'd really encourage you to read the book of Romans, at least through to chapter 12. Of course, I encourage you to read all the Bible all the way through all the time. But for this specific sense of really getting a hold of what it really means to have Paul's discourse talking about justifying people and what it means. For brevity, anyway, I paraphrase some of those mercies for us that we'll see in Romans 5, 6, and 8. So, you know in the Psalms, they kind of have this thing where they say selah, and it means pause, or think on this, or contemplate. So, I'm not going to say selah, but I'm going to read these to you, and I want you to selah, you know what I mean? Contemplate, think about them. We're no longer at war with God, but reconciled to and at peace with him through Jesus. That's Romans 5.1. Selah. We're given access through Christ as believers to the grace upon which we stand as justified. Romans 5.2. Selah. Christ died for us, the ungodly, not us, the righteous and holy, so we could be called saints, righteous and holy through his sacrifice, 5-6. We have been buried with him in death so we can be raised with him into newness of life, Romans 6-4. If we are united and joined with him in his death and in his resurrection, we can be free from slavery to sin, Romans 6-5. If we are crucified with him, we are considered dead to sin and no longer a slave to it. Romans 6, 6. The spirit of God that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us and raised us from death to life, giving life to our mortal bodies by dwelling in us. Romans 8, verse 11. These are the things that Paul is talking about, and more, of course, but for brevity's sake. Those are the mercies of God that Paul is urging the Roman church to think about when they consider what it means to live a life of one who is justified, what it means to live a life of worship. Remember, as Pastor Matthew said a few weeks back, without the work of the Spirit of God, there is no body of Christ on the earth after his ascension when he left us. Think about that. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus in his ministry, and he is here to empower us as his body to be like Jesus, to live a life of worship and sacrifice, just as Christ did 
giving glory to God in everything. There's plenty to sella and contemplate about there, I know. But think about this. I'll give some little thoughts as we go, but here's something to latch on to, Steve. Christ's life was worship. His greatest act of worship was offering himself to God for others. He's our model, though. As the body of Christ, we remain here on earth to do the things he did. You see, before we discuss our living sacrifice, let's think about that. But also look at some other kinds of sacrifice. I don't know if you know, if you're word geeks like Pastor Matthew is, but I always like to find out where things come from. I'm just like that, it's weird. Our word sacrifice comes from the Latin word that means make sacred. Making sacred. That's what God asks us actually to do with our lives, that they are made sacred. Now what do we mean by sacred? Well, holy, set apart, lived differently, lived as holy worship to him. But there are lots of things, of course, that people think about when they think of sacrifice. It's kind of an old word now, right? I mean, we're not big into sacrifice in uh, New Hope. Um, but there are parts of the world that still very much look to sacrifice. When you ask people, say, for example, what a sacrifice is, you'll hear a lot of different things around the world. For example, in India, where we are working with our dear Mangala people, the Hindu people there might offer incense. They might burn cakes or offer wine, money, or flowers at a temple. And that's their idea of a sacrifice. Uh, in Azerbaijan, for example, where we've worked for many years, Shia Muslims there would often, at special times of the year, take money to shrines, what they called holy places. They call it pir in Azerbaijani. They give money. The Talish people, one of our other people groups that we work with here, Talish people in the south of Azerbaijan and into Iran, they will offer worship to sacred oaks and beaches. Yes, they will. Holy trees. That's something from my ancient English history. They might light candles or drape scarves over them. And in all of these things, and in many other religions throughout history, these offerings have been used as worship to thank, to ask for favor from, or get something from what or who they worship. But what does the Bible tell us about sacrifice? Well, the first sacrifices or offerings to God recorded in the Bible were those of Cain and Abel. The Bible doesn't tell us what, why they gave the things they did, or even if God actually asked them for them. We can only assume they did it out of a sense of gratitude, or in some way to give thanks for what they had produced. Sadly, however, if you remember the story, things didn't go quite as well as they might have. Because you see, for a sacrifice to be true worship, it must be costly, and it must be given in the right spirit if it is to be accepted. If you have in your Bibles or your devices, whatever you have, we can read Genesis 4, 1 to 6. We don't have a screen for this, so I'll just read it for you. we we'll read along happily. Now the man, Adam, was intimate with his wife, Eve. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Then she said, I've created a man, just as the Lord did. <laughs> well, not quite. Then she gave birth to his brother Abel. Abel took care of the flocks, while Cain 
cultivated the ground. At the designated time, Cain brought some of the fruit to the ground for an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought some of the firstborn of his flock, even the fattest of them. And the Lord was pleased with Abel and with his offering. But with Cain and his offering, he was not pleased. So Cain became very angry. That's an understatement. And his expression was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your expression downcast? You see, Cain was not happy with God's response to his sacrifice. And God showed that not all sacrifices are truly worship or acceptable to him. Abel offered his best, the fattest, the firstborn. Cain offered some of the fruit he produced. When we worship God by giving or time or words, is it our best or just what's left over we don't need or can afford to give easily? You see, it's really important we consider carefully what we give because Cain's offering displayed the state of his heart. In fact, his unreconciled bitterness towards his brother led to murder. Our worship of sacrifice, or the lack of it, exposes our true heart, our true heartfelt beliefs about who all we have comes from, how we use it, and who it is for. Our worship is connected to the respect we have for the one we're giving to it. Long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago, a guy called Favorinus, yes, I know he was on the tip of all your tongues, is attributed with the concept of damning with faint praise. Have you ever heard that word? Came a little more famous, I believe, in the 19th century with Alexander Pope, but it started 2,000 years ago when Favorinus started talking about that. And what he said was this. He suggested that praising half-heartedly is more harmful than persistent loud abuse, and certainly one way for our worship to be unworthy. You see, Jesus meant a little bit of this when he said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, the object of our heart's true worship is usually displayed in how and what we give. Following Cain and Abel, several others offered worship and sacrifice. Noah, Abraham, Job, Isaac, Jacob, to name but a few. And then Moses came along. And he brought in a system of sacrifice that was still operating at the time of Christ. You see, there is worship that is acceptable and sacrifice but there's also unacceptable worship and sacrifice because it's not really worship at all. You see, the state of our heart and our mind in worship is very important. The heart behind the offering really matters. In Luke 21, verses 1 to 4, Jesus shows us a little bit about this. It says this, 21, verses 1 to 4. And he looked up and he saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. So he said, truly I say to you, that this poor widow has put in more than all. For all these out of their abundance have put in offerings for God. But she, out of her poverty, put in all the livelihood she had. So what's Jesus saying? That it's not how much you give, 
but it's the heart with which you give. The rich put in an offering that they could easily afford compared to their wealth, but the widow put in her very life. Now, two mites, it's not very much, is it? But to the widow, it represented something about her understanding of what living life as worship and being a sacrifice meant. In Matthew 5, 23 and 24, Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 23 and 24. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and first go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Maybe Cain and Abel could have done with that message, right? In both stories, what made the worship acceptable or not was how they give. Holding back in our giving or giving with an unresolved heart of bitterness makes our worship unacceptable. Why? Because offering in this way displays our true heart. How we offer ourselves in worship shows if we are truly a living sacrifice. One person, Riley, said, the problem with living sacrifices is they keep crawling off the altar. Yeah, that is a problem. Do we worship by offering the best of our lives to God? Or do we offer the best of what we have to things that are not God's, including ourselves? In different cultures throughout history, we see many different ideas of sacrifice, including the biblical landscape. Sacrifices were made to many gods, not just the God of Israel. Sacrifices were made to please kings and gods, to gain favor, to get help, to give thanks for good things. This could be good weather, good harvest, safe birth, many children. Although these days, we're not always sure if that's a blessing, are we? <laughs> However, in all these cases, the sacrifices given tended to be something very valuable to the giver. People sacrifice living things like lambs, cows, birds. Even human sacrifice was practiced by some of the cultures and peoples of biblical times, however detestable. Now we don't bow down to or worship carved idols in our church, but sometimes there can be idols hiding in our own lives, perhaps even our own life itself. Whoa. When this happens, we misdirect worship. We misdirect it and the glory that comes from it away from God to lesser things. We minimize the word sacrifice by calling it anything we find inconvenient, anything that hinders our plans or schedules. Sadly, this only reveals sometimes who our true God really is and who we truly worship and live for. But one thing that all sacrifices and offerings have in common is that once given, they leave the giver's control. If the sacrifice is a living thing, its life is taken. It can't be taken back. If it's grain, bread, or wine, it's consumed or burned. Once offered, a sacrifice was final, total, and relinquished completely. There was no such thing as a living sacrifice under the old rules. Now, followers of Jesus don't sacrifice bulls or rams, nor do we offer things to God to make ourselves acceptable to him. Or maybe so he will do nice things for us. We don't do that, do we? No. However, 
some of those old ideas about sacrifice and worship can still run deep in our hearts. Some of those old ways of thinking remain, it seems. What do I mean? Well, let me give you some examples. For example, when you were at school or college, did you ever pray, dear Lord, if you'd just give me an A in math, physics, fill in the blanks, I will read my Bible every day. Oh, <laughs> I'm getting an amen over there and a witness. Or perhaps at work, dear Lord, if I could just get that new promotion, I'd give you more of my money. Or perhaps you're a parent. Oh, Lord, if you could just make my son, daughter, behave better, I would follow you more closely. You see, these prayers, and a few others that might be crossing your mind right about now, <laughs> make it sound like we only offer sacrifice to get something in return, to get something from God. If you give me that, I'll give you this. But does our worship really depend on God giving us what we want? That makes worship and sacrifice look more like a contract than a relationship born out of love and gratitude. Our sacrifice can look a little bit more like a contingent negotiated one rather than a living one. Remember this though. You cannot bargain for something that has already been given to you freely. You cannot bargain for something that has already been given to you freely. He gives us life, physical, spiritual, because he is good. And his mercy and his grace is for all. If our faith and our worship rely upon God giving us what we want, we may find he does not always perform the way we want him to. That's a God thing. In fact, thinking like this starts to look a lot like the old sacrifices for a bit of help or favor. But we are to give all we are and all we have with a heart of thanksgiving that recognizes that all we have and all we are comes from God, and it's for God's use. Ultimately, we're merely giving back to God what he already gave us. As Christ so powerfully showed us, this can mean even our very lives. Now, I have two delightful grandsons who are always well-behaved. Lies from the pulpit, it's a shameful thing, isn't it? But I have lots of experience with other kids and the things that they do. And I'm sure you do too. So, have you ever seen a little child sitting down on the floor, surrounded by toys, who is crying, screaming, and demanding the only one he does not have? Usually which his brother or sister has, by the way. You ever seen that? Yeah, I know. But sometimes we can be a little bit like that with God. God will never withhold good gifts from his children. But he may at times disagree with us on what good is. Because that's a human thing. We like to disagree with God. You see, the irony of all of this is that the things that the people are bargaining for and what they're bargaining with for God's blessing are actually the things that should be normal behavior standard operating procedure for the body of Christ. Remember, if we walk his way, we will strive to imitate him. 
Let's guard ourselves from that trap of bargaining for blessing or making deals with God. This ends up looking like prosperity gospel light, where we command God to give us what we want by quoting a few scriptures, but ignoring a lot of others. So how do we live? Lives that are worship and a living sacrifice as Paul exhorts us to? Remember, Paul begins in the plural and then he goes to the singular in his statements. Our bodies but a living sacrifice. Why not sacrifices? Well, because the body of Christ is called to worship as a living sacrifice on the earth, just as we individually are. Remember what Paul said at the end of Romans 11. Let's remember our FTF, for the Father acronym, so that we can better live our lives. Let's have a look at those. Is that up there, Steve? Cheers, mate, good. First, from him. Being a living sacrifice individually, as well as a part of the body of Christ, means acknowledging that all we have and are comes from God. Giving all the glory to God by the worship of our lives requires a conviction that our lives in Christ are not merely given, but also sustained by God. That's true for us as disciples and for the whole body of Christ, if it's to faithfully live up to the name body of Christ. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. I don't know if you remember Bart Simpson when he was asked to say grace at Thanksgiving. He put the unspoken feelings of many believers right out there. He said this, Dear God, there you go, Steve. No, not that one. <laughs> Screen seven to me. Dear God, we pray for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. Like that? I'll say it again. Dear God, we pay for all this ourselves, so thanks for nothing. Amen. Great Thanksgiving prayer. You should try that next year. Factually true, perhaps, but missing the big picture. And can we at times? You know, the Christian Post in 2021 posted the results of a study of giving, and it said the average giving among all evangelical Christians is 1% to 3% of income. Oh, okay. Averages, though, can be overly optimistic, unfortunately, due to those who give a very large amount. So actually, the median giving among evangelicals is 0.57% of income. Hmm. In fact, only 13% of all evangelicals in the study tithed, and the study covered both church and charitable giving. So if a tithe of 10% plus offerings was required by God in the Old Testament, what is it that motivates us to give so much less? But this isn't the money talk. This is not really about money. You see, managing what God gives us, our financial resources, is only part of the stewardship responsibility God gives us. When we fail to see all we have as holy to the Lord or made sacred, a sacrifice, it can lead us to think that our jobs, our resources, our income, our skills, even our time, our good health, are merely something that we earned rather than coming from God. If they're from us, why should we give glory to God through worship and sacrifice of them? I mean, we earned it, right? Maybe not. But God calls us to live in a way that shows our very lives are from, for, and in Christ. The air we breathe, our health, all we have are from the hand of the Father, truly His. If we believe this, truly, 
It forms in us a life of worship that gives glory to God and causes us to be living sacrifices. Being a living sacrifice requires us to recognize and honor where our eternal and our temporal life comes from. And like Solomon in 1 Chronicles 24, 29, excuse me, 14, said, all things come from you and from your own have we given you. But there's another aspect to consider regarding being a living sacrifice. You see, we believe at New Hope that discipleship is a vital need for every believer. New Testament discipleship, as taught by Jesus, was based on following, observing, modeling, emulating, and reproducing what had been learned from the life of Jesus into the lives of others. First Christ, then the apostles, including Paul, recognized that Christ came from God and offers his life up for us. Jesus lived as the Father directed him and offered all he was and all he had to God. He only did what he saw his Father doing. And he is our pattern for being a living sacrifice if we try to do what we see him doing. God doesn't require the old sacrifices of the Jewish law from us. He wants our lives to grow, to be more like Christ's, who is our life. Remember, we are the body of Christ as the church, and therefore, we should act like the body of Christ did. That's easy to say and hard to do. So how do we do it? Well, Paul tells us we have to do it through him. About now, you may be feeling, this Christian life thing is way harder than I thought. You may not be Christ, but you have been raised from spiritual death just as he was. To imitate him, be part of the body of Christ here on earth. Romans 7, 4 puts it this way. You also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead so that we might bear fruit for God. The living body of Christ so died so we could also die spiritually but be released from the law of sin and death belonging to him. If we don't die, we can't be raised as he was. We're raised to a new life as part of the body of Christ individually and together. Why did he do that? So our bodies could be a living offering to God, doing all Christ would do if he was here. We might be living, but are we living sacrifices? Maybe you know the joke about the old lady. She was visiting New York for the first time and she got terribly lost and was beginning to fret. As she was looking around, she saw a policeman. Relieved, oh, she asked him how she could get to Carnegie Hall. The policeman looked at her and with a smile he said, Lady, you really gotta practice. Come on, come on. You get it? You get in there. The same is true of being a living sacrifice. Never has the saying been truer that practice makes perfect. It's not just a case of trying harder, though some discipline is required. The Lord has an important reason for us to be living sacrifices. Screen 8, Steve. Purpose of living as a sacrifice is so the name of Christ and the glory of the gospel will be made known to all peoples everywhere. The purpose of living as sacrifice is so the name of Christ and the glory of the gospel will be made known to all peoples everywhere. 
I know you thought it was just because God was mean, but no, there is a real reason for this, and it's very important. This sermon series is all about the body of Christ, not just its individual members, but as the body of Christ, we're to work together to make Christ known by our words, lives, actions, and the daily offering of our lives to God. Paul in Colossians 1:27 says this, to them, that is the body of Christ, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery. What is the mystery? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone maturing Christ. Christ in you individually and as the church, his body on earth, displays the hope of glory. And this caused Paul to struggle with all the energy God gave him. And we too seek to struggle and live as living sacrifices. See, your body's only really living when it's growing and reproducing cells. The body dies when the cells are not reproducing and regenerating. Same is true of the body of Christ. We are meant to replicate and reproduce as a body. The constant offering of our life to God's purposes is what makes this possible. John Piper said, worship is the goal and the fuel of missions. Missions exist because worship doesn't. I don't think Uncle John was thinking about having worship services everywhere. He's talking about lives that are worship everywhere, all over the world. It's true of our mission as the body of Christ, extending the worship of God by living lives that are an act of worship and an offering. God's methods are always collaborative. He's a trinity working together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're created by God, saved by the Son, and empowered to continue living his life on earth by his Holy Spirit. The body of Christ matures and reproduces as individual lives are lived as an acceptable worship, offering, and sacrifice. Without the Holy Spirit's work, there would be no body on earth in the first place, and therefore no worship or glory given to God. His work of exalting Christ in us, so we lift up Jesus everywhere, one body but many members, one God but three persons. The things Christ did on earth, his mission, his sacrifice, are the things the body of Christ is asked to do in our lives of worship. We imitate him as the first living sacrifice. Christ gave himself up as an offering freely, only to be raised to life forever, just so we could be raised to life as his body to continue and to complete what he began on earth. You see, all we do for him, we should do through him and to him. So for him. Have you ever heard people say things like, I would give my life for my friends? Or maybe, perhaps, I would die for my family. For some of us who've raised kids to adulthood, at times we wonder if we already have. It's a joke, by the way. Sorry, Em, wherever. Joking aside, we all know there are some people it's easier to do things for than others, for whatever reason. People give their lives, their time, their wealth, and their affection for many things in misdirected worship. In the old days, we call this idolatry. It can be hard for us to identify this in ourselves sometimes. 
My old Bible teacher used to tell a parable of a young man who wanted to impress a girl he really, really liked and to show her how much he loved her. He told her he loved her so much he would die for her. She actually was rather disinterested in him and uh, thought very little more about what he said. One day as they're walking together, they came to a large, fast-flowing river. He, filled with emotion, wanting to impress, shouted, Look how much I love you! and promptly jumped into the river. Not surprisingly, he was drowned. But who did he die for? It's a parable, guys, don't worry. <laughs> who did he die for? For the girl, who never showed any interest in him? For some misguided belief about what she wanted? Sacrifice should be focused on the one who we are giving it to. This was not true here. It was something he wanted, not something she ever expected. Why did he do it? Perhaps he was trying to make her feel she owed him something, rather like the deals we can make with God we talked about earlier. Do we think that God needs to prove our love to him by worshiping him and giving him glory? Or rather, that he gives us the opportunity to express our love for him by our worship and by living as a sacrifice just as Jesus did. The simple answer is that if we truly believe all we have came from him and that by his spirit he empowers us to live through him, what should we do for him? Well, pretty much anything, really, that he asks us. Not just our best guess. Sacrifices have very little in the way of rights. The things God asks of us may not always be easy or our first choice. But when we understand who we are and seek to act as Christ's body, then we will model our lives on his, the true living sacrifice, our model and our role. I'm gonna to flip to the last section here because time is running away from me. The rest of Romans 12, verses nine to the end, is a really powerful framework for how Christ lived as a living sacrifice to God and how we can grow more and more like him day by day as we take these words to heart and live by them. Sometimes we think sacrifices have to be great, big, uh, impressive things, just like this boy jumping in the river. Sometimes sacrifice and living as a sacrifice to God is a day-by-day, -day, small thing, small decision, act of worship. And I think this end of Romans is very helpful for that. So from Romans 12, verse 9 to the end. Steve, can you flash up those screens for me? Thanks, brother. I'll read this for us, and I want you to think through some of this as we go through. Imagine this as living as acceptable worship. Love must be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil and cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another with mutual love, showing eagerness in honoring each other. Don't be slow or lag in zeal, but be enthusiastic in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Endure in suffering. Persist in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. 
Consider what is good before all people. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all people. Do not avenge yourself, dear friends, but give place to God's wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But rather, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. As the body of Christ, living as sacrifices of worship, this is what God asks of us as a church and as believers. That's the reasonable worship for the one who gave us everything, even our very lives. You see, these are the kind of lives that the gates of hell cannot stand against and will take the gospel of Christ to the ends of the earth. Maybe we can bow our heads in prayer, take some time to consider that. If you want to be a disciple of Christ, part of his body, you are called to live life as worship, to be a living sacrifice, giving glory to God. Perhaps you've never considered it that way. But now perhaps you can consider what it means for you, what it means for me as a disciple to be a living sacrifice. How will our lives give glory to God? And how will it be sacred worship? We are called to be the very embodiment or incarnation of Christ here on earth. As one person said, we are the spirit of Christ with flesh on. Just as Christ incarnated in a body as a man, so as his body we incarnate as Christ by his spirit here on earth. Perhaps you've never followed Christ or even thought of being a disciple of his, part of his body here. But if you would like to follow Christ, to become a disciple, we can pray for you as you begin a new life in Christ. As you follow him, learning his ways, you'll grow as a living sacrifice, as part of the body. If you'd like to begin that journey with Christ, I'll pray for you now. And I only ask that you tell somebody, come forward, go to the reception, so that we can help you, we can walk with you, help you grow. Father, I ask that you would indeed take these words of mine, Lord, and speak life, speak grace, speak Holy Spirit newness of life into the lives of my brothers and sisters. I pray for those who have not before chosen to follow you, but now want to do. I pray, Father, you would be very close to them, that they would sense your presence, your love for them, your grace for them, and that they would know what it is to be justified. Finally, I pray that we, in this part of the body of Christ called New Hope Church, will know the grace of Christ and the power of his spirit that raised us to life. I pray we will live faithfully, offering our lives each day for the glory of God, and live as Christ did, giving all to him, proclaiming the good news of God's grace in a world and life to all those who have not heard. The grace and peace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. 
Amen.